Of course, our buddy Dr. Michael Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic is stopping by to talk wellness on a Wednesday. Dr. Roizen from the Age Proof Life series, those books are out there. Plus, What to Eat When and the What to Eat When cookbook is there at whenway.com. Dr. Roizen, I'm happy you're here because I'm I'm seeing so many reports about the virus and how it's it may be going away. It's not going away. It's spiking in 21 states. Uh, and I'm I'm reading this one story that says the the lethality, the mortality rate of the people who contract the virus is going way down. And in fact, that's the number we should be looking at. Is that in fact the most important number that's out there? Well, there really are two numbers in the out there from the current population and then two numbers that I'm going to go over in new data. So the two numbers are how many are in the ICU and how many are dying. And what we're seeing is that with the increased cases, fewer percentage of those are in the ICUs, fewer percentage are dying. What's that due to? Old people have realized this affects them more than anyone, and they're taking more precautions and being careful. So just, if you will, keeping people in the um, long-term care facilities separate from others is important, and that's why the death rate is going down. Very hard, to, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this facetiously, but people under the age of 50 are not dying from this in any numbers, if you will. That's great news. People over the age of 50, especially 50 to 70 with comorbidities and above 70 in, in, are dying in much higher numbers, especially above 70 with hypertension that isn't perfectly treated or with obesity or with um, other diseases such as cancer that affect the immune system. Hmm. Okay. So numbers yeah. that are important, watch how many are in the ICU and how many are dying. Those are important. Now, the two numbers that are disturbing are the neutralizing antibodies and the percent of people that develop neutralizing antibodies. That's one number. And the second is how long they last. So the CDC did a very tough study to do, which is to look at neutralizing antibodies. We can measure antibodies pretty easily. That's just a quantitative test of, for example, how much IgG you produce. Of the sailors who were symptomatic and volunteered, 60% produced an amount of IgG, that is the antibodies that we care about, in large quantities. And 60% of that produced the, the most important antibodies neutralizing. So only 36% of the sailors who developed symptoms developed neutralizing antibodies. A very low number, bad. The second thing is how long did they last? Well, this was two to three months. So we will follow that. We don't know the answer to that. But those are the two numbers that are also most important when you test a vaccine. Um, that is, how many will develop neutralizing antibodies and how long will it last? So 
those are the two other numbers. So first number, how many are in the ICU? Secondly, how many die? Third, in, in the, how many are in the ICU is can we handle the infection rates in the young? Because some of those require the ICU. The second one is how many die? That's mainly the older people. The third um, thing to find out is um, the uh, neutralizing antibody percentage. And the fourth is how long they last. Four numbers that are key. The problem with the numbers on the sailors if only 36% develop neutralizing antibodies and they don't last that long, that's a real problem for um, what we would call developing herd immunity. Mm. That is just enough people getting it. And it also means that it may be tougher to get a very effective vaccine. So, so that's good and bad news. Good news, not as many dying, not as many in the ICU. Bad news, not as many antibodies created and not as much herd immunity. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on all that, and thank you for that update. Let's talk about some of the medical research. I got your list of great research, and I, I want to start out with one that I think most of us battle, and that is uh, sleep. What happens to us if we don't get enough sleep, and how much do we really need every night? Well, it's a very individual thing, but it averages someplace between seven and eight hours we really need. Without it, our blood pressure goes up. Without it, our desire to eat goes up. Without it, our other brain cells don't get regenerated into a normal functioning, so they demand more of the addictive type, both foods and behaviors. Hmm. Um, that leads to obesity, that leads to a whole bunch of other problems. So it is that the brain doesn't feel like it's being treated well. Another part of the brain that needs that seven to eight hours is to get rid of waste. So your brain opens up the passages that allow waste to flow out of it in that six to eight hour. So if you don't get the full six to eight hours, you're not going to get rid of the waste that's going to create inflammation in your brain that will lead to, um, if you will, brain destruction, nervous system, cell destruction, and less functioning as we get older. So you're talking about your brain gets constipated if it doesn't get enough sleep and it can't release the garbage cells and get rid of them, slough them off. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but that's a very good explanation of it. Well, you know, Doc, I always try to go to the most base explanation of things. Uh, quick question as it relates to that. I am rarely getting seven hours in one block, but I will get six and then get a two-hour nap in the afternoon. Does that do the same good things for my body and my brain? It does it for your brain's regeneration we don't think it does it for getting rid of your brain poop. Okay, the brain poop. <laughs> now that we've coined that term. You also mentioned in a related thing, before you go to bed, limit alcohol for better sleep. Yeah, so what alcohol does is it helps put you to sleep. But as you metabolize it, your brain tries to wake up. That is, when you take off that sleep thing, in and it gets metabolized fast enough, you tend to wake up from it. Hmm. 
Hmm. So it has that dual effect of helping you go to sleep, but not allowing you to stay asleep for a long time. Yeah, that's a tough one. So maybe, maybe just cut back on the uh, the cocktail right. before you go to the glass of wine before you go to bed, um, Doc. In your um, in your research this week, the important medical research this week, you also have uh, a number a number story. Number one, the lower your blood the lower your blood pressure, the lower your heart risks. Right. This is a very interesting study because. You know, in, in our real age calculations of hypertension, we said the ideal blood pressure, 115 over 75, that's what it has been. And the lower the blood pressure, the better. A blood pressure of 90 to 99 systolic had 4.6 less, or blood pressure 120 to 129, 4.6 times the effect, the, the cardiovascular events over a 10-year period. That's incredible. So, um, so, so lower blood pressure, as long as it's above 55, better. Lower blood pressure within the healthy range is... Uh, as put, long as it's above 55 on the lower number. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, that puts less stress on the pipes inside the heart, so your heart will Well, we're amazed more. because everyone thought you couldn't go, get any better than 115 over 75. Yeah. It, tur- it turns out 90 to 95 over 55 may be better. Dr. Risen, as always, as usual, a pleasure. I will tell people, go to the um, whenway.com website, whenway.com website, or, or the clevelandclinic.org for all that great information you guys put out. Doc, thank you again. My privilege. Thank you.